Good morning. And welcome to Naples United Church of Christ. Just so we're all on the same page, this is the 11 o'clock service. So if you were, uh, you know, a little confused by the time change, you know, the staff was really lamenting that, you know, this, <sighs> this morning, I know. It was lovely getting up so early. I know, exactly. Uh, and happy International Women's Day. I don't know if this is a gifting occasion, but... Uh, it's always a gifting occasion. I know, occasion. exactly, exactly. <laughs> but no, we're grateful for the, the leadership of not only our uh, female clergy, but uh, the women in leadership of this congregation. And so it's an important day for us to, uh, to acknowledge... Thank you, and I am Deb Kaiser-Cross, and I serve as a minister for congregational care here at Naples United Church of Christ. Yeah. And we want to welcome those who are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, and those who have gathered at uh, Bentley Village this morning. And uh, later in the service, uh, both during the words of welcome and then uh, later in the service, we're going to be talking about and acknowledging the importance of our Stephen ministry and, and how much it means to us. And each Sunday, I know that we have a Stephen minister at Bentley Village. Mm -hmm. And so we're so grateful for, we are. Uh, for that ministry and for what they do. Um, just because the stock market has done so well over the last two weeks, I just want to go over uh, the uh, where we are with our stewardship update, because here's my goal, is by Palms Sunday that we wrap all of this up so that we can uh, be done with this because uh, you all have just responded in such amazing ways. I'm so grateful. Um, at this point, uh, as of this week, we are at 1.29 million with our goal of 1.5. We've had uh, 375 estimates of giving so far, so that's fantastic, uh, with a goal of 500, so we're almost there. 39 of those are new this year. So thank you very much for those of you who have, uh, who have stepped up to that. And that equals $91,000 of new pledges. So that's always uh, wonderful. And uh, so we're well on our way. Uh, I think we can wrap this up. I think we can wrap it up by tomorrow, but you know, uh, I live in that kind of optimism. And so thank you again for your generosity. And if you haven't had that chance, uh, we would uh, greatly appreciate. I think there are still cards in the uh, pew backs. And let me assure you, if you're looking for a way to finish up, just call me. We'll get it done, I assure you. <laughs> and now it is my opportunity to um, invite Lloyd Bettis up here. He is our most recent Stephen minister to go through Stephen leader training. And we wanted to interview him a little bit. He brings his homework with him. <laughs> interview him. I was afraid you were bringing me homework when you brought that earlier. <laughs> You've already done that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I have. I have those uh, folders. I know them well. So, Lloyd, um, we wanted to ask you just a few questions to help the congregation know a little more of what Stephen Ministry does. So the first question is, what does a Stephen minister do and how are they trained? Well, thanks, Deb. And Deb is our uh, leader, yeah. and Dawson is very involved uh, as, as well. And if I don't get this quite right, we do have brochures out in a rack between the Narthex and the parlor that talks about the Stephen Ministry uh, program. But basically, we are trained lay people to provide you know, Christian care and support uh, to those in our congregation and in our community that uh, have a need. We're here to care for, for one another. And oftentimes, we're referred to as the after people. We get introduced to you after you've got a pink slip, after you've had, or a friend or a relative has had a dire diagnosis, after the divorce papers have been filed, um, 
After friends and family have heard all your stories and are tired of listening, but you still need to talk. So we're here to, to, care, to care for you. And it's, we want to make clear, we're not here to solve your, prob your problem. <clears throat> That's not our job. We're here to just to share Christ's love and support uh, with you in a highly confidential manner. Uh, all of our conversations are confidential. The, you know, the, each, the name of the care receiver, your name, is confidential. Sounds training? Training? Well, this is, um, we have, we have, uh, we have eight Stephen leaders, and they've, they all have this much information. And this is what we use to train our, uh, our, our Stephen ministers. Each, there's a better, there's a better representation. Yeah. <laughs> Each, uh, Stephen minister goes through, um, 50 hours of training over, over 10 weeks to prepare them for this, uh, uh, for this assignment. And we're not the only church that's doing this. There are 13,000 churches throughout the U.S. and Canada that have uh, Stephen Minister uh, programs. And there are nine churches right here in, in Collier County. And as I said, we've got 38 Stephen Ministers within this church, including eight Stephen leaders. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, Deb later will, uh, when we go through the, the prayer of commissioning for you, we'll talk about some of the things that Stephen leaders do. But I just want to say personally, I think one of the most remarkable things that this ministry does and what means so much to me personally is there is a Stephen minister at every memorial service that we do. And then they follow up with that family uh, at various points throughout the year following that death. And, and it not only helps the pastor mm -hmm. who is doing the memorial service just help with the family, but I just think that's such an amazing ministry, and it's one of those quiet things that um, that most of the congregation I don't think knows about um, until they need that. And um, I just want to say thank you because I just think that's something so remarkable, and I don't think a lot of churches do that. And so you said there are how many churches throughout the thirteen thousand? Yeah, I, and I just think that's so incredible uh, because. Stephen Ministry has been a part of Naples GCC for so long that we've been able to kind of think outside the box, so to speak, and, and, and really do some creative things. So how long has uh, the Stephen Ministry been established in this congregation? Well, the Stephen Ministry program started in 1975 in St. Louis, mm -hmm. uh, but we've been a participant since the 1980s. Yeah. So over you know, between 30 and 40 yeah. years, so it's a... It's a, it's a long time. Yeah. And uh, we get involved in a lot of things that people may not be aware of if we don't have a, besides being providing a one-on-one -on -one relationship, we also get involved in hospital visits, uh, visiting you know, retirement centers and retirement homes. Uh, of course, you, you always see in the bulletin that we have someone at the 9 o'clock and the 11 o'clock service in the, in, the, in the parlor that's available to, to visit with you about a need that you have or to talk about the need of someone else um, might have. In fact, Chris Noble is going to be there after the 11 o'clock uh, service. And that's one of the things I would ask that uh, our, our congregation could really, we're trying to help the congregation and the community. The congregation could help us by introducing us to potential care receivers, people that you know who are hurting. Yeah. So what's your favorite part of being a Stephen minister? Well, it's, it's just um, a wonderful way to extend the ministry of, of the pastors that we have at uh, Naples United uh, Church of Christ. Um, 
When I retired four years ago, I gave consideration to attending Chicago Theological Seminary. And my wife... Which is a great seminary. Yes, it is. Yeah, very good. No, yes. We should, just going to throw that <laughs> Yeah. And um, my wife, Catherine, said, Lloyd, why don't you try Stephen Ministry first? <laughs> <laughs> and so I did that, and it's, it's worked out uh, very well. But it's, it's, it's wonderful to share one's uh, uh, heart uh, with someone else who is who is going through difficult times or or hurting if if each of our Stephen ministers can some somehow make a a person help a person who's having a, a bad day make that day a little bit more bearable that's that's a real accomplishment thank you for all you do and all you're ready to do in Stephen ministry in this place all right send the names to deb yeah so connect us. Thank yeah, you. and Lloyd, thank you uh, for all that you do. And, and we'll call you back here in a little while to uh, offer a prayer of uh, blessing. And I'm not carrying this back, so I'm going to invite you to. Um, <laughs> we but, have uh, our own. No. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, we also have the oh, yeah. ministry here. provides, here. Uh, Go ahead and the, provides uh, care notes and prayer notes in the same rack uh, between the uh, narthex and the parlor back in that corner. And some of these are like, you know, finding strength to survive a crisis or tragedy, finding a way to forgive, you know, dealing with anger that comes with grief, telling God thanks no matter what. There's probably about 20 different titles that might help make your day a bit yeah. more bearable. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So That's an much. important part of what Stephen Ministry does. And again, Lloyd, thank you. And, and we'll... Uh, ask you back, and, and we'll also recognize Stephen Ministers at that time, but just such a vital uh, ministry, and we're so grateful for all that they do. So indeed, as a growing congregation, let us center our hearts and our minds as we begin worship this morning. Thank you. Will you join your hearts with mine in prayer? Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we are grateful for the gift of this day. And as we continue in this time of worship, we ask that you would speak either through me or in spite of me, but that above all else, we would hear with clarity what it is that you say to us this day. All of this we trust and we ask in your many names. Amen. One of the things that pastors and doctors, firefighters and police have in common is that we all receive occasional late night calls. However, not all night calls are significant. Dr. Bob Osmond at First United Methodist Church in Atlanta writes about a call that he received one night at about two o'clock in the morning. He did not know the woman who called, but she had found his number online. She had a problem. But by any objective measure, it was not an emergency. And it certainly could have waited until the morning. Nevertheless, Dr. Osmond tried to offer the advice that he could. And then he asked, Ma'am, do you belong to a church in Atlanta? Yes, she replied. I'm a member of Calvary Presbyterian Church. Why, asked Dr. Osmond, didn't you call your pastor about your problem? 
Well, I thought about that, she said, but my pastor works so hard, I just hated to bother him in the middle of the night. The Gospel of John tells us about a nighttime call that Jesus received from a prestigious Jew, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler, a member of Israel's Supreme Court. He was wealthy and a man of strict religious standards. He came to Jesus by night because it would have been politically embarrassing for him to have seen, to be seen coming to Jesus during the day. Think President Trump coming to Secretary Clinton for advice. The Jewish establishment of which Nicodemus was a prominent part regarded Jesus with contempt. Jesus did not criticize Nicodemus for coming to him at night. Jesus was willing for their meeting to be confidential if that's what Nicodemus needed, if that's what Nicodemus wanted. Jesus seems to acknowledge in this story that there are some legitimate things that we all do that we would just as soon not have publicized. I can recall a situation from a family friend of ours. His two young daughters were both ill at the same time, and the hacking and the coughing continued around the clock. Our friend, a Methodist pastor serving in rural East Texas at the time, was told by someone that a mixture of whiskey and honey would reduce the discomfort and the coughing. And our friend was desperate enough at this point to try anything. However, there is no more uncomfortable person in the world than a Methodist pastor in a small East Texas town looking for a half pint of whiskey. Nicodemus was delighted that Jesus was willing to meet him in the cover of darkness, just as our friend wished that liquor stores in rural East Texas had been open at night. You see, Nicodemus had a significant problem. Depression was stalking him like a hungry lion. He had everything that he was supposed to have to make life complete. Money political power, family, and the approval of his religious group. Yet there was a vast growing emptiness within him, and so he went to Jesus for help. And then, of course, Jesus offers this wisdom, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus replied, what? Is there some way I can turn back the clock, return to my mother's womb, and repeat the birth experience? Jesus must have smiled as he shook his head. Here you have a classic sense and case of miscommunication. Like the little boy who visited his grandmother in New York City. She took him on a tour of the city, including the huge and imposing St. Patrick's Cathedral. When they got to the front of the altar area, and she said, under here is where the cardinals are buried. And he looked in amazement and said, 
the entire team? You see, Nicodemus was thinking in physical terms. But Jesus was declaring spiritual truth. And I think that is both our challenge and our opportunity on this, the second week of Lent, as we continue our Lenten journey. To seek the spiritual truth that Jesus offers us in the story of Nicodemus and to trust our experience with God. That's what James Mulholland and Philip Gully discuss in the second chapter of their book, If Grace is True, Why God Will Save Every Person. They talk about the experience of a loving God and how in times of doubt or disaster, both corporate and personal, we must lean into that truth. And I don't know about you, but these past two weeks have been times in which I have needed to lean into that truth. I have needed to recall my experience with God. From a stock market that has seen the largest point loss in a single day, to the media hype about pandemics to natural disasters in Tennessee and elected officials and those seeking elected office yelling at one another. It's as if my anxiety level just increases by turning on the television or my car radio. My sophomore social studies teacher and her husband are celebrating their wedding anniversary on the ill-fated Grand Princess cruise that is stuck off San Francisco currently. One of the things that I appreciated about Mrs. Lang when I was in high school was her sense of humor, and as an adult friend, I still do. Earlier this week, she posted on social media, update from the captain. The bad news, we don't know where we're going yet or when you're going home. The good news, we're delivering more arts and crafts kits to your cabin this afternoon. <laughs> Talk about trusting your experience with God. As the pastoral letter that was released to the congregation on Friday about what actions we are taking as a church to ensure that we are best prepared. The clergy team talked about our reluctance to make changes to our communal habits on Sunday mornings. If you do not receive our emails or did not see it, we have copies for you in the narthex. This day, in, in this day and age, it is important that each of us have the opportunity to be hugged and to be touched so that we remain grounded and connected. But for the safety of all people, we decided to implement a protocol for this time that we are living in. I was reflecting on these decisions and was reminded of my previous congregation in Dallas. 
which over the height of the HIV AIDS pandemic lost over 1,500 men, many of whom died feeling alienated from friends and from family due to stigmas and fear, afraid to be touched by medical personnel because of sores on their bodies. Most of these decisions rooted in ignorance and judgment. And we mustn't become a society like this again. We mustn't allow fear of disease or fear of other to overwhelm us. We must choose faith over fear. Simply put, we must trust our experience with God. The God who has brought us this far did not do so to leave or abandon us. Six months ago, a small town newspaper in northeastern Pennsylvania carried a personal quarter page ad that I read about. It was from a woman, Rose Bertola who apparently had been hospitalized for quite some time with a significant illness. Beneath the headline, From My Heart, she wrote, to just say thank you to my wonderful friends and neighbors who so abundantly demonstrated their love in so many ways during my recent illness would be a terrible understatement. It would be impossible to acknowledge every kindness because the sending of food to my family, the phone calls, visits, cards, gifts, flowers, and prayers were overwhelming. Five short paragraphs followed naming specific people and their thoughtfulness and care. And then came three columns of names, over 110 in all. She concluded by saying this, although I have tried my best to include everyone who was so kind to me, I'm sure I have inadvertently overlooked a few people. Please forgive me. Signed, Rose Bertola. My friends, we are a people rich in our experience with God. God has carried us this far and God will carry us forward. God will not forsake or abandon us. God will not leave us and God will meet us in the dark night of our souls. Just ask Nicodemus.